Will you take your Bible, please, and turn with me to Colossians, the book of Colossians, chapter 1. Colossians 1. Today we begin a four-part series on discipleship, which is part of a larger series that I'll be giving in Africa next month. On July 5th, my oldest daughter, Abby, and I will leave for Indola, Zambia, along with Jim and Jan Cookson, where we will serve at this year's Impact Indola Conference, hosted by Northrise University, one of the missionary ministries that this church has supported for years. Uh, As I've shared with you already, I believe God has called me to that place, at this time for this task to teach, along with another pastor out of Arizona, uh, a couple hundred African pastors on the subject of discipleship. I'm excited. I'm thankful. I'm humbled. uh, I'm anxious. God continues to surprise me and stretch me in new ways. Please, please, please be praying uh, for me and for our African brothers and sisters that, um, that I can be of some encouragement to their faith and them to mine. This morning I want to lay a biblical foundation to build upon through the rest of the series. And I want to begin by asking a question. When you read the Gospels, what word is most often used to identify those who follow who followed Jesus. What were they called? Disciples. They were called disciples throughout his ministry from the very beginning, and then at the end of his earthly ministry, just before his ascension to heaven, he tasked them to do what? Make more disciples. Those who followed Jesus were to make more followers of Jesus. They were to go out into the world in the power of God with the gospel of Christ and help bring people to faith in Christ, then build them up in Christ. And I want to say to you this morning, dear East Parkway, that we have been tasked with the same great task. That discipleship and disciple-making is our calling too. It is a high calling, and it is a hard calling. But it is a calling that is full of grace and joy and life in Christ. And so today, in, in this first sermon, I want us to consider... These things by turning to two verses mainly found in Colossians 1. These are powerful words of purpose. If you've ever wanted, if you've ever wanted a life verse, something to direct and guide you from one day to the next, something bigger than you, something to strive for, something that calls you to a life of meaning and influence, something of eternal impact and value, then these two verses will serve you well. 
So I want to pray for us and then read this passage together. Father, we thank you for this time. We we thank you that we call you Father. That we are we are your beloved daughters and sons. We are spiritual brothers and sisters to one another. We are dear members of your eternal family. That we are disciples of Jesus Christ. That in your great love, you pursued us. We had no thought of Christ. We were essentially opposed to Christ. We had no interest in following Christ. But you pursued us. You saved us to Christ. You brought us to yourself by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you've set us on a new path that we may live by the ways of Jesus for the rest of our lives. And so we pray that today, as we consider your word, please enable our understanding of it that the truths we find here would propel us forth with great purpose as we indeed seek to be a community for the cause of Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen. The two verses I want us to consider, that I really want us to dig into, are verses 28 and 29. But I actually want to begin reading from verse 15 for some context, and then also because we're going to be referring to some of these verses later in the sermon. I also want to say, by the way, <laughs> so the messages that I am preparing to, for Africa are to be, I, I, each message is an hour long, which is uh, considerably more than what you're used to. So um, I have prepared for an hour. I have already taken some things out and I'm going to save them for Africa. But there are some things I don't want to take out. So buckle in. Because we've got some, we've got a lot of great truth packed into these two verses. Let me begin by reading from verse 15, Colossians chapter 1. He Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together." And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he, Jesus, might be preeminent, for in him 
all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, For the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them God chose, to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in You, the hope of glory. And here we go. Verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. From the Apostle Paul in these verses, we learn, I'm talking specifically about 28 and 29, we learn the what and why of discipleship. We are to proclaim Jesus Christ, that's the what, in order to present everyone mature in Him. That's the why. The what, we are to proclaim Jesus Christ in order to present everyone mature in Christ. Him we proclaim. Paul announces, Jesus Christ is the sum and substance of the Christian life, and thus proclaiming Christ is the sum and substance of Christian discipleship. Now, what should we proclaim about Christ? What should we teach and remind people of? Well, if we look at just a few verses earlier, that passage we read, we find in verses 15 through 22, one of the most concentrated and compelling accounts in the entire Bible concerning the person and primacy of Jesus. Here Jesus is presented with such precision and clarity that by the time one comes to the end of the passage, verse 22, the mind is drawn to such high places that the heart nearly explodes with affection and praise. And I want to give you four things from these verses to proclaim about Christ. So four things from, so we're taking verse 28, 
We proclaim Him. And now I'm looking back at verses 15 through 22, and I want to give you four things to proclaim about Him. Number one, proclaim Him who is the image and fullness of God. Proclaim Him who is the image and fullness of God. Paul wrote this letter to combat the false teaching that was infiltrating and adversely affecting the church at Colossae. The doctrine of Christ was under attack as heretics downplayed and entirely dismissed His deity. It's a belief that still pervades modern thought in that some people are willing to affirm Jesus as a great man, but they altogether deny that He is God. And against all who called into question the divine nature of Jesus Christ, Paul wrote in verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God. And again, he says in verse 19, In Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And so the phrases image of God and fullness of God mean quite clearly that Jesus is God. Not merely God, not merely like God or God-like. You know, a child may bear the likeness of his or her mother and father, but as you know, whatever attributes of the parent we see in the child are just similarities. They're not exact representations. The full characteristics of the mother and father are not fully present in every child. They are present only in part, and even then, the child still bears some features that are entirely independent of both the mother and the father. However, In Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Fullness fullness means completeness. Exactness. A perfect match. In Jesus dwells all of God's attributes in full measure. God's love is fully displayed in Jesus Christ. God's compassion is demonstrated fully in Jesus. God's wisdom, perfect and complete, is it dwells in Christ. God's power exists in full in Jesus. We could go on and on enumerating each of God's characteristics, knowing that each one, without exception, is present in Jesus in full. In Jesus Christ, God is on full display. Were we to schedule a photo shoot with God, snapping pictures of Him from all angles, what we would find is that all of our photos would look like Jesus. For He is the image of the invisible God. He is the exact imprint of His nature. If you want to know what God is like, Look closely at Jesus Christ. The notion that you can believe in God, which many do, without believing in Jesus is nonsense. 
for the two are essentially one and the same. Therefore, proclaim him who is the image and fullness of God. Number two, proclaim him who is Lord of creation. In verses 15 through 17, we read that Jesus is the firstborn of creation. It's not that he was born first, as though he is created and merely first among created beings. It means, rather, that he possesses all the rights of a firstborn son. And so the firstborn son was the natural heir to his father's full estate, meaning that Jesus Christ, the firstborn of all creation, rules and has sovereign rights over creation. He is Lord of creation. For by Him all things were created, verse 16, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, all things, were created through Him and for Him. Verse 17, He is before all things, And in him all things hold together. Four times in those two verses, we find the words all things by him and through him and for him. All things exist in him. All things hold together by and through and for and in. It just, it all pictures the full scope of Christ's reign. You know, you've heard that saying, it's so well said as, by Abraham Kuyper, that there is not one square inch of the entire universe, uh, entire creation about which Jesus Christ does not cry out, this is mine, this belongs to me. Jesus reigns over the universe and its billions of galaxies. He reigns over stars and supernovas, over black holes and blazing comets. He reigns over suns and moons and planets. He reigns over this planet. He reigns over every budding flower, every singing bird, every breaking wave. It all exists under the supreme rule of Jesus Christ. Every man, woman, and child owes his or her existence to Jesus. And not only over things visible, but over things invisible also. Over the unseen relations of the atom, over the laws of gravity, over mathematics and science, over quantum mechanics and thermodynamics and the full range of scientific theory. He reigns over weather systems and homeostasis, that biochemical process by which our bodies maintain a constant and internal healthy environment. Now, we don't see it. We don't even think about it. When was the last time you thought about homeostasis? And yet Jesus holds it all together. All of it. Every heartbeat, every calculation... Every subatomic particle, he sustains it all, and it is all for him. It is all for him. Creation exists for Jesus to display his greatness and his great worth. Everything on heaven and on earth, everything visible and invisible, exists to lift 
high the name of Jesus, to magnify the glory of God, to bring God's goodness and glory into clearer view so that we might see the wonder of Jesus Christ in all things. Supernovas exist to display the radiance of Jesus Christ. Thermonuclear fusion exists to reflect the explosive power of Jesus Christ. The gravitational field exists to reflect in just small measure, mind you, the way in which Jesus Christ holds it all together. From the far reaches of the unexplored universe to every inch on planet Earth, from the top of Mount Chimborazo in the Andes, one and a half miles taller than Everest, to the depths of the Mariana Trench, it all exists for Jesus Christ. Therefore, proclaim Him as Lord of creation. You with me? Number three, proclaim Him who is head of the church. Notice how in verse 18... The emphasis moves from creation in general to the church in particular when it says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So here the church is likened to a living body with Jesus as its head meaning that Jesus directs all parts of the body, that the entire body, hear this, exists to carry out the desires and decisions of Christ. That He is the firstborn from the dead means not that He was the first to be resurrected. Others, including Lazarus, were raised before Him, but His resurrection is of first importance. And because He is our head and because He has conquered the grave, the entire body will be raised also. All persons who are saved to Christ are saved to life everlasting. Without Christ, there's no victory over death, and therefore there's no church. There may be empty religion and religious services and people busying themselves with religious activities, But without Jesus, we remain dead in sin and estranged from God. And so the mere fact that the church exists with Christ as its head means that He has done something on our behalf. So proclaim Him as head of the church. And then number four, proclaim Him who has reconciled us to God. The question is, what has Jesus done on our behalf? Well, He has made peace with God on our behalf. According to verses 20 through 22, we were alienated from God and hostile to God because our sin nature is fundamentally opposed to God. Though created by God, for God, and for sinless relationship with God and one another, we, in disobedience to God, have fallen far short of the mark, have we not? Our hearts are terminally sick with sin. And if not for Christ and His cross, we would be dead in sin and deserving of whatever God deemed appropriate. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has made peace by the blood of His cross. At the cross, Jesus, at the cross, God did what we cannot. 
He gave His Son to bear our sins in our place at the cross. We see in full measure, uh, we see the full measure of God's righteous anger towards sin levied against the sinless Son of God. And hear this, because Jesus is the image and fullness of God, it was no mere man who hung on that tree. It was not the blood of mere man that flowed from his wounds, his his hands and feet pierced, his face beaten, his back ripped to shreds. It was the all-supreme, all-sufficient, all-perfect, all-atoning blood of Christ. The blood that flowed from those veins was the blood of Him by whom all things were created, through whom all things were created, for whom all things were created, and and in whom all things hold together. And this blood made peace. You know, there is nothing sweeter There is nothing sweeter than knowing that He who reigns over all things takes interest in you. To the extent that He literally gave His life for you. If God did not overcome my sick and rebellious heart, if Christ did not atone for my sins, if He did not make peace by the blood of His cross, I would remain alienated from God and hopelessly lost. But because His blood has made peace, And because, as verse 22 attests, I have been reconciled in His body of flesh by His death, I am holy and blameless and above reproach before God, my Maker. Hallelujah. In our sins, you and I are incapable of living for God as we ought, but we have a Savior who came and lived and died and rose again, that we might live in Him with God forevermore. Anyone who places their trust in Jesus, who entrusts themselves to Jesus, is made right before God by Jesus. Therefore, East Parkway, proclaim Him, who is the image and fullness of God who is Lord of creation, who is head of the church, and who is reconciled to God, reconciled us to God. We proclaim Him. We must. We must. And I want you to notice back in verse 28 exactly how we proclaim Christ. We're to warn everyone and teach everyone, it says. You know, there are times to admonish, correct, and caution each other. There are certain things that may be hard to say. 
and hard for others to hear. But we must not shrink from declaring the whole counsel of God, including those parts that are uncomfortable. This involves seeing God for who He is, seeing ourselves for who we are, seeing sin for what it is, while calling each other to turn from it in obedience to God who hates sin and has warned us of its grave consequences. To warn one another like this is to demonstrate love and care. And in the same way, and certainly with similar motivation, we are to teach everyone. We're to teach what God teaches, including uh, His general revelation, that which is revealed in and through creation itself, as well as, his, as the written revelation of His Word. Our teaching should be Bible-based as we urge one another to trust and honor God by living in accordance with the truth of this book. We do this, it says, with all wisdom. Because wisdom is critical, isn't it? to warning and teaching. We need wisdom to know what to say or do, when to say it and do it, to whom to say it and do it. As we warn and teach everyone with all wisdom, we all grow in the Lord. In fact, this is the reason why we proclaim Christ, to present everyone mature in Him. This is the clear and stated goal of all Christian maturity, according to verse 28. And this, my dear brothers and sisters, is the essence of Christian discipleship. The word mature is, it means of full age. It's the word teleos in the Greek can also be translated perfect or complete. Like when Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Or like James said when when he wrote, let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I want you to see that it was not enough for Paul to see people make a profession of faith in Christ. It was not enough. I want you to know that getting people saved is not enough. Paul not only sought a person's salvation but also his or her sanctification he sought to build them up in Christ he took interest in their growth in the Lord he embraced the call to help move people from nominal Christianity or basic Christianity to a fuller relationship with Christ like a parent Helping his children through the stages of life, Paul helped move people from Christian infancy 
to full Christian maturity, and that's the goal. That's the goal. That's our goal as disciples, that we mature in Christ, and that's the goal of our disciple-making endeavors. The word everyone is repeated three times in this single verse, which means that no one is insignificant or that no one should be left behind. It also means that no one has already arrived. In other words, there are people in your life who need you. Just as there are people whom you need. God intends each of us, each follower of Christ, you and you and you and me, each one of us, regardless of age, background, or perceived level of readiness to engage personally in the spiritual well-being of others. You cannot reach everyone alone, of course. But listen, the work is not done until everyone is reached. It requires everyone then to present everyone mature in Christ. No one is afforded the opportunity to sit on the sidelines. We proclaim to present. And this idea of presenting one another, I love that. This idea of a grand presentation to come, it should motivate us for the task. In, earlier in verse 22, when Paul wrote how Jesus presents you holy and blameless above reproach, and so now he, now in a very real sense, it's like we're striving to present others mature in Christ because that's exactly how Christ presents us. This is not easy. This is not easy. Proclaiming Christ is not easy in a fallen world that's fundamentally opposed to Him. Warning and teaching everyone is not easy. Working to present everyone complete in Christ is hard work. It's hard on us. It is. It's hard on us. Just as it was hard for those who've gone before us, including the Apostle Paul. And so he says, For this I toil, struggling, struggling, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. Paul talks about toiling and struggling. He endured many dangers and toils and snares in his life of ministry. He understood that those who know Christ and live, truly live for the gospel of Christ will share in Christ's sufferings. He got that. Consider his own testimony in 2 Corinthians 11 when he mentions great labors and imprisonments and countless beatings and being often near death. He said, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. 
Once I was stoned three times. I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was just adrift at sea. sea, On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst often without food in cold and exposure oh and apart from these things to top it all off there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches you know one of the byproducts of the consumer mentality that unfortunately affects the church today. It's pervasive in the church today is that we're consistently told to pursue what feels good, to do what you love, to love what you do, and if you stop loving or enjoying it, to do something else. Well, the problem, of course, is that we give up too easily Do you think Paul loved his hardships? Do you suppose that he was driven by what felt good? There are aspects of discipleship and disciple making that you will not enjoy. I want to say that again. There are aspects of discipleship and disciple making that you will not enjoy. No one enjoys affliction or hardship, certainly not suffering, and yet when these difficulties are viewed as part of something greater and deeper and ultimately fulfilling beyond belief, there is strength to press on in hope. And the strength, I love this, the strength is not yours to muster from your own human reserves. No, you labor, it says, with all His energy that He powerfully works in you. Here it refers to divine, supernatural power. It actually means resurrection power. The word is dunamis, from which we get the word dynamite. It means experience. Uh, a miraculous power. Therefore, the power of God in you, the power of God in you is explosive, earth moving, way paving, death defying, life imparting, soul-satisfying power. Do not expect God's power to be working in you until you set yourself to His work. That's where we sometimes get this confused. We expect God to wave His magic wand over our disengaged hearts. Instead, it's when Christians engage in what's on God's heart that He'll strengthen yours for the task. 
It's the power of Christ in you. As you walk by the Spirit of the living God, the point is that when we work to fulfill the work that God has given us, He will supply all the necessary strength. It is hard work, yes, but as the Scripture assures, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. I'm not sure how much this is connecting, actually. Thank you. I began this morning by talking about a life verse and how Colossians 1, 28 and 29 more than fits the bill. I want to end now by, by taking that one step further and urge you to not just choose a life verse, but to choose a life objective. And I use the word choose intentionally because a decision needs to be made. None of us know how long we have in this life. Let's suppose you have 20 years or 40 or 60 or 80. I don't want to shortchange you. When you come to the end of those years, from this day till the last day, when you come to the end of those years and you look back, what will you need to see to conclude that your life was well lived? I suggest that we're not ready, I'm not ready, you're not ready, that we're not ready to make the most of our remaining years until we answer that question. I'm convinced that growing as disciples of Christ and making more disciples, which includes winning people to Jesus and maturing them in Jesus so that they in turn will make even more disciples of Jesus is not only the need of the hour, but also the very specific and great purpose to which we are called. I'm convinced that discipleship is to, incur, is to occur in our homes, parents and children, in our churches, in our places of work, in our neighborhoods and communities, and across the world. It is a high calling. It can be a hard calling, but it is a life of deep satisfaction. It is a life well lived Indeed, though we all have different gifts, different personalities, different spheres of relationship and influence, though it will look different in different contexts. It will look different in Africa than it will here in America. But we all share in this same great endeavor to proclaim 
Jesus Christ and to present everyone mature in Him. Amen? Amen. God, thank You for the moments we've shared this morning. And I want to pray that You will cause the desires of my heart to reflect those on Yours. I pray that where I desire things that do not align with your desires, that you would change my desires, that you would help me to step forward with faith and courage to give myself more fully to this great call. I pray that that I would not fritter away the days and years I have left on this earth that I would make the most of the opportunities You've given me, that I would grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ, and that I would be useful in helping others come to Christ and grow in Him. And I pray that same prayer for these, my brothers and sisters, that indeed everyone in this room would partake in this great call, so that everyone can present everyone mature in Christ for His glory. Amen.